2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, uh, and it'll be on the screen as well. It's going to be where we we start from as well. And as I do that, uh, I'm glad you're here, Marley, and uh, we're glad Marley's here. She has moved. Uh, this is, uh, my brain just kicked out. This is Hope's daughter. All I could see was Hope's last name, but this is Hope's daughter, and she has moved from, was it South Carolina? And I'm glad that you're here, and we want to make Marley feel welcome. And uh, now that she's uh, all embarrassed, but we're glad you're here, Marley. I, I want to preach a message, and, and honestly, I've been studying uh, something and looking at something, and, and that was going to be where I went. And the more I studied it, the more I realized that that's going to be the end of my message. And so I'm going to start right now with 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus till Dalmatia. I find it very interesting when you find one person in the Bible that you don't know a lot about, and you kind of have to put some pieces together, and that's what I want to do at the beginning of this. Would you just ask the Lord to let the Word of God speak to you? Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for the Word. We know your word is true. We know your word is powerful. We know your word never changes. What we need to pray, God, is let me be receptive to your word. God, your word has been settled. In fact, forever in heaven is it settled. And so we're not asking you to give us a word that changes. We're asking that ourselves would receive the word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. Much like a, a paleontologist or an archaeologist would uh, look at a few old bones or maybe a few uh, uh, artifacts that they find, and, and sometimes they are able to extrapolate more than what you could ever imagine from just a little bit. Um, we, we found uh, paleontologists that have been able to, to take one bone and find DNA in that bone or find muscle structures and so they then understand how things work or archaeologists can find shards of pottery or find little artifacts and they can create and understand what was going on in fact I was reading on the Lewis and Clark expedition that one of the major medicines that they uh, uh, took was uh, mercury and mercury does not digest very well and so they have been able to follow the path of the Lewis and Clark by finding where all the latrines were of their camps and they find mercury deposits that are there and, it, and mercury doesn't disappear and so they've been able to find that and they are able to, to do that and so I look at Demas and I find that Demas although you may say well there's not a lot going on let's see what we can find Demas was a staunch disciple of Paul's he had heard Paul preach now he's a Christian I could say it this way, Demas was a tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled, baptized in Jesus' name, convert. And in fact, let's do this. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 9. I'm going to go through this very, very quickly. Paul had a habit in his epistles of recognizing people that, that connected with him, recognizing people that helped him. Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, the other guy that starts with an A that I can't pronounce his name. Mark, I can do that one. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And Jesus, who is called Justice. And, and uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ. I bear witness. And Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. 
The fact that Paul writes of Demas in his work tells us that Demas meant something to Paul. In fact, Philemon, uh, verse 23 and 25, again, uh, Epaphras, the, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings, as does Mark and this other dude that starts with an A, and Demas and Luke. And so you find that Demas had a point. In fact, there's a book that I enjoy looking through. Uh, it, it's it's uh, by a man, I believe his last name is Lockyer, and it's all the men of the Bible or all the women of the Bible or all the miracles of the Bible. And you can go and he breaks it down. And he pictures Demas as a disciple who was head over heels in love with God. He was that fanatical new convert, carried away by the enthusiasm of sacrifice and wanted to live with Paul, wanted to die with Paul. He, he, wanted, he, he was re- willing to be a martyr. Everything about Demas at first looked good. But one person said it this way, said, but he was a soft, malleable piece of iron. He was easily shaped by the preachings of Paul. But yet just as easily as the preaching of the gospel connected with him, so was he swayed by the world. It's much like being, if you will, temporarily magnetized by the presence of Paul, but it was destined not to last. And I I know we could look at, at Demas and we could say, Demas, I don't understand. How could you be so close to the apostle Paul and then loving this present world, you know, fall away, backslide, whatever you want to call. But the same could easily be true of us. How many church services, camps, and youth camps, and conferences, and revivals? How many times have we been energized by the presence of God, be charged by the Holy Ghost, but it gets erased by passing too close to this world? You ever had a credit card or a hotel room key lose its magnetic ability? Got too close to something. Demas got too close to the world. Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. He was craving, Demas was craving acceptance. And as long as as he could be accepted by Paul, it was good. But when that authenticity was was required, he was found weighed in the balances and he, he didn't measure up. Paul was weighed on those same balances. And it was said of Paul, I'm ready to be offered. My time of departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. That's the difference between Paul and Demas. Demas said, I've got to the end and I didn't keep the faith. I didn't stay the course. Paul said, I could. Because the problem with Demas is Demas didn't guard his heart. And I want to preach to you about that, guarding your heart. And and in doing so, I'm going to, I'm going to preach a little bit from some writings that I found of a, uh, a man by the name of J. Hampton Keithley. And uh, he has written some thing, things about this. And so some of what I say I'll pull from, from reading and teaching and things I've learned to him. The importance of guarding your heart. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20 says this, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. They're the life to those who find them healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk. Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then your way will be sure. Don't swerve to the left or the white. Left or the. I wish I could read today. Do not swerve to the right. Or the left, turn your foot away from evil. 
Solomon was telling his son, your heart is important to your life. I'm glad you exercise. I, I do it all the time. It's, it's amazing what exercise will do to you. I do sit-ups every day. I sit up in the morning, and I sit back at night. <laughs> But, but Paul, said, Paul said, hey, if you exercise, great. Exercising will help your body, that's great, do it. But understand there's something more important than your physical exercise. And he would tell you, you better guard your heart. Guard your heart. Above all else, the NIV, the New, Living, uh, New International Version, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of light. Of life, the, the heart is an important word because you can look throughout the word of God, you can find a lot of important words, but man, the word heart is listed from the front of the book to the end of the book. And it's evidence that how many times the word heart occurs because God is so deeply concerned with your heart, with the inner part of you, with the condition of of your heart. In fact, it's what God told Samuel when Samuel was going to anoint a king and, and all of the, the, the sons of Jesse passed before him and Samuel got enamored by the height and got enamored by the strength and surely this man is going to be king and none of those were. And, G, and, and God had to tell Samuel, don't look at his appearance, don't look at the height of his stature. I've rejected him for man or for God sees not as man sees but man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart God recognizes the heart it's what he said to Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it and then the answer comes I the Lord searches the heart and tests the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds here's the thing God checks your heart you can you can put on a good front you can fool a lot of people. You can act like everything's good, but God knows what happens on the inside. And it's the heart. It's the fact that God looks at the heart. It's the fact that God searches the heart. And the reason is, is because out of the heart springs everything else. Your actions, your works, your pursuits, your dreams, your thoughts, what you say, everything comes from the heart. That's why Matthew recorded the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in to steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's Matthew goes on. Matthew chapter 12. The tree is either going to be good and bear good fruit. Or the tree is going to be bad and bear evil fruit. You can't have one, you know, you can't have both. It's either one or the other. And then it goes on and it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 15 begins to talk about that. Are you still without understanding? Don't you know whatever goes into the mouth goes into the stomach and expelled? It's the digestive system laid out. And so don't worry about what you eat. And, and God was trying to, to, to get them from this, this law, this, uh, 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 you know, you can't eat the, the catfish and you can't eat the, uh, you know, the pig. It doesn't matter. We're past that. 
you better be more concerned not with what you put in your mouth because that's just helping your temporary, your the, the flesh. He said, but instead know this, whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That's what defiles a person. It's not unwashed hands that defile a person. It's what comes out of your heart. Holiness starts in the heart. In fact, on the Sermon of the Mount, that's what God was trying to get across to a Pharisees and, and, and a performance, as, one, as the man that I mentioned earlier, he said, uh, it, it was the external performance-oriented hypocrisy of the religious Pharisees that God was trying to, to, to break that. In fact, no less than six times on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he contrasts the external from the internal. Let me show you what I mean by that. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to hit these quick. He said in the old, uh, uh, you've heard it said. So you're going to hear about six of these. You have heard, but I have said. All right? You've heard, but I have said. So the first one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. You've heard it said of old, thou shalt not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. Okay, let me help you out. Is there anybody here that's murdered anybody? Okay, good, we're all good. Check that off the list, right? Because that's what, that's what they were doing. I've not murdered. I'm a good person. But God said, that's what you've heard. But Jesus said, I say to you. Remember, he comes to fulfill the law. I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother is liable to the council. And whoever says you fool shall be liable of hellfire. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about the action. We're talking about the intents of the heart. Because you've heard me say often from behind this pulpit that although I have never murdered anybody, I have thought about it. Rush hour traffic makes me think about it. And while it's funny because you do the same thing, every once in a while God taps me on the shoulder and he says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, have you ever conducted an internal heart? You've heard it said, verse 27, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I can stand behind this pulpit and I can tell you right now, I've never committed adultery. Hallelujah, check it off the list. And then God taps you on the shoulder and he says, but I say that if you look upon a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in her heart because it's not the action that matters more than it does the heart. It's been said, who divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say, whoever divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual morality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And, and you be, he begins to say, it's a matter of the heart. Verse 33, you've heard it said, don't swear falsely. But I say to you, why don't you just not swear at all? Don't swear by heaven, it's the throne of God. Don't swear by earth, it's his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, just don't swear at all. Don't make an oath. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't resist the one who's evil. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and let him slap your other one as well. And, and that's a hard saying to follow. Jesus was telling you, you better guard your heart. You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for them that persecute you. Why was the Lord doing this? It's because he was calling their attention that, that it's not that you can check off a list and say, I didn't murder anybody today. He's saying, I'm, I'm looking at your heart because everything proceeds from the heart. Adultery murder begins in the heart. Our walk with God is always a matter 
And so as I just said earlier, many times we ought to just do a little open heart surgery on ourselves. It's important to look and examine what are we thinking, what are we saying, what are we doing. And I need the Word of God to examine me. That's why the Bible says the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, the, the, the whole, it, it's like a, a sharp two-edged sword that divides asunder the joints and the marrow. It's like a scalpel that gets down into the, the middle of who we are. And he asks us, how is your heart? Because remember, Solomon challenged us. Solomon challenged us. Above all else, guard your heart. If you'll guard your heart, you'll never have to guard your mouth. If you'll guard your heart, you'll never have to guard your actions. If you'll guard your heart, you'll never have to worry about anything else because everything proceeds from the heart. But if you don't guard your heart and you just guard your mouth, and it's good, I'm glad that some of you do that, but there's other things we get into. Guard your heart. Why? Because the heart needs guarding. It's naturally bent. It, it naturally inclines since the fall of man at the, uh, at the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve sinned and, and sin entered into humanity. You were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and your heart naturally bends to sin. Even those that have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, even those that have been regenerated, there is still that, that, that internal struggle. In fact, downstairs right now in the foundations class, Brother Justin Lowe is teaching the second part of a lesson entitled Understanding the Battlefield. And right now, probably he's to the point where he's teaching that all of us have two natures and we have two hearts and we have two minds. You have the mind of Christ or you have the mind of the flesh or you have the heart of flesh or you have the heart of God or you have the, you know, the, the, the carnal nature and the fallen. He's doing that right now because even saved, our heart still leans. That's why temptation comes. And so it is that if I could, I could point to you two biblical analogies. One is found in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And, and, and really the what this means is, is, is you can turn away from God and think you can do it better than He can in your own life. You, you, you turn, you know, you, you, you find out that what you thought was right, what you thought you could do on your own is nothing but a broken water tank that can't hold water. But Travis was working on my truck and we got talking and I told him one day how I, I performed an oil change on my van. At that point we lived in, in Lake St. Louis and we had a real steep driveway and I performed a oil change on my van, did everything, man, and put the oil in it, and after I do an oil change, I always shut the hood, and I drive it around the block just to make sure it sounds good. I pulled down the driveway, and I realized there's a river of oil, and I'm like, what in the world? And then I realized I forgot to put the drain plug back in. You know those five quarts of oil I put in it? They were on the driveway. Luckily, it was a blacktop driveway. That's how you are when you think you can do it on your own, when you think you can trust your heart and you don't need God. It's whatever you're pouring in is just pouring out. It doesn't hold water or you can turn to the arm of flesh rather than the arm of God. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 5 and it says, Cursed is the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. His heart will turn away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert shall not see any good come. He'll dwell in the parched places of the wilderness. But blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by the water. And then it goes on, and we've already read this part, but that it goes on to get to the place the heart is deceitful above all things 
Or Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 11, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But behold, all of you kindle a fire who equip themselves with burning torches and you walk by the light of your fire and the torches that you've kindled and this you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. Basically, instead of following after the light of the Spirit, instead of following after God's light, you try to bring out your own light and walk by it and it leads you astray. Or to use the words of Isaiah in chapter 2 verse 5 and it, and it talks about that we can become filled with influence from, influences from everything else except God. And you've got to guard your heart. The heart of man, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things. It's not a safe haven. If you trust your own heart, you're a fool. That's Proverbs 28. Proverbs 20 and 9 says, I've made, who, who can say I've made my heart pure and, and I'm clean from sin? You can't. It's deceitful. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Isaiah 55 declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. See, there's seven reasons, and I, now I'm pulling from the writing. There's seven reasons why the heart needs guarding. And you ready for this? Your heart needs guarding because you don't naturally think like God, act like God, or do what God wants you to do. That doesn't come naturally. In fact, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 3 says that our foolishness subverts or perverts our way. That Hebrew word that we get the word perverts, it means to twist it, to overcome it, to overturn it. And the thing is, is our heart needs guarding because we don't think like him. And, and everything our heart does on its own will try to twist the words of God. Number two is the heart needs guarding because it's not just deceitful. The Bible says it's more deceitful than anything else. It's naturally selfish. It's naturally self-centered. It's naturally self-protective. And it does its own devices. But instead of trusting your heart, you need to trust God completely. And so your heart, if you're not careful, if you don't guard it, your heart with your fear and selfish concerns will deceive you. It will rationalize everything. And you'll turn to your own solutions. You're in trouble. The, the, the heart needs guarding because the heart is desperately sick. It's uh, Jeremiah, one way to say it, it's incurably wicked, beyond cure. Now heart, it can mean the mind, the emotions, the will, the inner man, all of that. It, it, it's desperately sick. It, the, the sinful nature, and I've already alluded to this, the sinful nature can't be eradicated. It can't be improved. It can't be changed for the better. You can't put... Uh, 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 and dress it up it is what it is that's why David prayed God created me a clean heart oh God the heart needs guarding because the heart cannot be understood by our own wisdom so many places in the word says only God can reveal the trueness of what lies in your heart only God can show you where your heart's headed. Only God can show you where your heart is. The heart needs guarding because the heart is the wellspring of life. It's the fountain, if you will, of your attitude. It's the fountain of your beliefs. It's the fountain of your values. It's what springs out of your aspirations and your pursuits. And so if you don't guard your heart, your, your pursuits and aspirations and beliefs and values and attitudes will all go a wrong direction. But if you guard your heart, 
then it will be right. The heart needs guarding because everything comes from that heart. Your eyes, your mouth, your feet, your words. And so if you guard your heart, everything else will be right. That's what the Bible talks and teaches. Why you've got to guard your heart. He went on to say that not only does your heart need guarding, but your heart needs giving. You've got to do more than just guard your heart. Sometimes for us, guard your heart would mean put it in a, a, a you know a, a lock box or put a bunch of chains on it and don't do anything with it and never let it go and never let it run. But I would tell you that you also need to give your heart. That's a little bit tough. To give your heart is risky. It means that you're vulnerable means to have to step out by faith not by sight it means to believe God rather than your own strategies it means to give something and sometimes a lot of something and so I ask you today not only do you guard your heart have you given your heart well, I'm not talking about Valentine's Day giving your heart I'm not talking about romance giving your heart I'm talking about have you truly looked at God and said I, I give you my heart because when you give your heart, somebody made this statement. People are willing to give God credit, but not cash. Now, I don't, I'm not taking this in, in, in terms of, uh, of uh, financial giving, but to give your heart means that you're accountable to something. As long as accountability is somewhere in the future, suspended out in space somewhere, then it's good, but when it actually means to affect the life right now, that's where people back off about it. A lot of people say, oh, I'm accountable. All right. Yeah, I love to be accountable. I want to be accountable. Pastor, make me accountable. Good, that's cool. Now let me call you on Monday and ask you if you've read your Bible, and then all of a sudden you don't want me prying in your life. Because to be accountable means that, that you have given your heart to someone that you allow access into it. Giving your heart means involvement. You can be a dad or a father, I guess, but if you haven't let your heart be involved in the raising of your kids, you're missing out. You can have a spouse, but if your heart's not involved with your spouse, marriage is useless. And you can say, I love God. But if you're not involving your heart in the worship of God, if you're not walking by faith, if you're not having that sacrificial love, if you're not willing to be accountable, if you're not connecting, then you are missing the point. That's why Isaiah chapter 29, the Lord said, My people draw near to me with their words, but they remove their heart far from me. They didn't give their heart. And then the third thing is the heart needs preparing. Psalms chapter 78 and verse 8, and I'm going to read this one from the King James because it uses a word that I like. It says, don't be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare their heart. Psalms 108 says, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and I will sing praises with the Lord. That word steadfast and that word prepare. If you're reading uh, uh, 
Psalm 78. If you're reading that in the English Standard Version, the one I normally read, it would have said my heart is steadfast. Both of those words, steadfast and prepare, they mean the same thing. It means to be firm, to be established, to be stable, to be set up, to be fixed. And it means that you have prepared your heart. So I ask you tonight, have you prepared your heart? guarded your heart hopefully you've given your heart but do you prepare your heart you gotta prepare it with the disciplines that we talk about that honest confession of sin that repentance that's not should not just happen in that moment you are saved that repentance of sin ought to happen, that confession of sin ought to happen on a daily basis, probably for most every one of us here. It's fervent prayer, it's Bible study, it's meditation on God's word. Thank you, Brother uh, Richardson, for what you said on uh, Sunday morning. You talked about worry and anxiety as negative meditation. And when you look at it that way, that made me think about well, if there's negative meditation, then thinking about God and thinking about His promises and thinking about the word, that's positive. And that's how you prepare your heart. You've got to prepare your heart so you can respond to God. And it needs purifying. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is more deceitful above all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's Hebrews 4 and 12 that I've already mentioned. The, the Word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. I, both of those, to me, I see a, an operating table. I see an operating room. There's a sick heart there. And then you have the surgeon with the scalpel ready to perform surgery on it. You need to purify your heart. It's got to be renewed in its ideas. It's got to be renewed in its values. It's got to be renewed in its beliefs. It's got to be renewed in its motives. It's got to be renewed in the thoughts and the intents. You've got to allow God to speak. Every time you come to church, every time you hear a message, it ought to reach down into your heart, not just tickle your ears, not just get inside your mind and you walk away and you're smarter, but you've got to let the Word of God get into your heart and renew your heart purified by being renewed it's purified by the testings that we go through some of the sufferings and the trials and the irritations that God brings it's revealing the conditions of your heart you don't believe me get up tonight in the middle of the night and stub your little pinky toe on the corner of your desk that test because the first word that pops in your mind it's funny but I'm getting right to where we live the first words that pop into your mind determined whether your heart's purified or not anybody brave enough to say amen and so it is that God allows those irritations to come to reveal the true color of the heart within us and hopefully I, yeah, you know you, I hear people they, you know, they're about getting a wreck first thing they do is they scream Jesus you know and that's not my first reaction and I'm like God what's wrong with me as funny as it is Sometimes he says, well, 
might be because your first thought is not to me and other things as well. And so my heart needs purified. And so I purify it by confession. I purify it by repentance. I, I go and I say, God, I don't want the first thoughts in my mind to be this. I could spend a lot of time right here. I don't want to be telling. I could spend a lot of time right here. Because I could go through everything in your life and ask you, what is your first thought that comes to mind? If your first thought that comes to mind isn't right, isn't pure, then God's trying to tell you something. Guard your heart. Your heart needs prostrating over and over and over and over. Look at the Psalms. Look at other places. It says, worship the Lord with all your I think we do a pretty good job at this, but perhaps maybe there's someone here that hasn't. Could I just ask you, could I just help you? When is the last time you poured your heart out to God? When's the last time you involved your heart to God? When is the last time that you loved God with all of your heart, where you search for God with all of your heart, where you returned to the Lord with all of your heart, where you rejoiced and exalted the Lord with all of your heart, where you gave thanks unto the Lord with all of your heart, and where you believed God and His words with all all of your heart and every one of those I could have given you verses for if I had time your heart needs to be poured out the Bible says Psalm 62 trust in the Lord at all times and pour out your heart from before him for God is a refuge for us when's the last time in prayer you poured your heart your burdens to the Lord when's the last time you let your heart cry out to him I could talk about your heart needs centering I could talk about your heart needs exposing and conviction. Proverbs 5 and 12 says, And you've said how I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. Or John 16, that when Jesus comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jude says he'll execute judgment upon all. 2 Timothy says that the preacher preaches the word. He's instant in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort in the word of God. Our heart needs exposing. Our heart needs convicting. Our heart also needs cheering, encouragement, comforting. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. 2 Corinthians says, Let God, or, For God loves a cheerful giver. John 14, 1 says, you, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Yeah, life's full of disappointments and discouragement. Life is full of pain. Life is full of sorrow. And so sometimes my heart needs cheering up. It needs comforted. It needs encouragement. But here's the thing. All too often our tendencies are to seek the comfort of our heart by things that God doesn't approve with. You want to know why addictions run rampant in our world today? because people are trying to cheer up a broken heart. But they didn't guard it and they went the wrong method. Not even addictions. How about the pursuit of power and pleasure and possessions and positions? How many people work themselves to death thinking that's going to be the thing that cheers their heart? Well, I'll take this pleasure and it doesn't cheer their heart. God's plan for lasting joy comes from a heart that's been prepared fixed to trust in the Lord. 
The heart needs strengthening. The heart needs that, that we, we, we recognize that the heart desperately longs for what God's word says. The Bible says, Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So many things I could go through. But the problems, and I'm going I'm to burn through these quick. Here's the problems of the heart. Wrong focus, wrong thoughts. It's unbelieving heart that says, I won't trust God, but I'll pursue my own solutions. That's what Eve did in the garden. Fear and anxiety cripples our heart. Frustration when we're not fixed or truly centered on the Lord. That, that's frustration. And I had conversations today that... that and I can back it up with Bible. I can show you First and Second Corinthians, where, where, and especially talking about the Lord's Supper, where it said, "Many of you are sick in your physical body because you're not right with God." There's a lot of things, frustrations of the heart, because there's no peace because the heart is not centered on the Lord. Even the simple term "losing heart," turning away from the Lord. Trusting in the wrong things. Brokenness of heart, bitterness of heart, stubbornness of heart. All of those we could we could look at and see. But it ends with this, guard your heart. I know it's been information overload. I get that. That's why I'm hurrying. I got a billion pages of notes. But I hope you understand that by piling all of these verses on there, you understand that the heart needs Because the heart's deceitful above all things. And so what are you going to do with the heart? Would you turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7? I told you this is where I thought I'd preach most of the time, but the Lord just connected me to put it at the end. Now when the king had lived in the house, this is King David, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, and the ark of God dwells in the tent. And I want you to pay close attention to this. And Nathan said to the king, to David, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, this may not mean anything to you. You, you know, it, right now, it may not be speaking to you. You're like, okay, great. It has the word heart. I guess that's why pastor used it. But a few days ago, as I woke up early in the morning, which has become my tradition and my, my spiritual discipline, I woke up early, and I'm reading that. Brother Harpole, when I read that, my brain was not focusing on 2 Samuel chapter 7. My brain went to 2 Samuel chapter 17, I believe. I had a different picture because my only connection of David and the prophet Nathan was a whole different conversation. It 
it's the prophet Nathan pointing his bony finger at David and, and, and I'm paraphrasing, I know that but saying David you followed your heart and you got with Bathsheba and you got her pregnant and, and then you had her husband killed and you followed your heart how dare you the Lord showed me that before that the prophet said David do everything that you want to do in your heart, do it and the Lord began to speak to me he said that go and do all that is in your heart only works if your heart is in the right place for where your heart is David you didn't guard your heart everything was going so good at first, all looked well. 2 Samuel chapter 7, all looked well. You were going to build the Lord a house. It's going to be good. Your heart was right. You had guarded your heart. All the things we've said, you've done. And I mean, David, look at all the psalms you wrote. But somewhere, you let your heart be unguarded. And that natural inclination of your heart caused you to look when you should have been warring. And the look turned to lust, and the lust turned to action. And the action turned to adultery and murder and death. And then you were convicted. And then you were tried. David, you should have keep if you would have guarded your heart, the sky's the limit. But instead, you didn't guard your heart. And you followed your heart to destruction. So I ask you today, are you guarding your heart? All the things I've said. It may be one of those you got to go back and listen to if you didn't get it. Or email me and I'll send you the notes. You can have all the verses. They're all written out there. But you got to guard your heart. And here's the thing. I only get you, you're going to hear me talk about this a lot. I only get you about six hours a week if I'm lucky. That's those that come to every service. Somebody else have to do the math. I mean, hours in a week. Take six off. That's how many I don't get. So it is that you might be good at guarding your heart on a Sunday when you know you're going to see pastor Sunday morning and Sunday night. What about Monday and Tuesday? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Guard your heart. 